0: Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermoncast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern Kip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Or much of my life, I have been a sports guy. Uh, if I'm going to get exercise, it's chasing a ball around somewhere. Uh, in my early days, I played a little bit of baseball, but a lot of soccer and some football. And in my later years, it's been a lot of racquetball, some tennis before that. And, and all of these sports, they require understanding some of the rules that are involved with it. And, and being taught those rules is good, but it's also... Under, good to have a coach who teaches you not just how the, the, the game is played, but how to play it right. We call them coaches. And uh, I've all, had all kinds of different coaches in my day. Uh, my soccer playing days were the, the most prominent in my life. I played all the way through high school and played at our high school team and, and even a little bit into college. And, and yet, my college coaches or my soccer coaches were not the best ones I had because as I grew up in the 1970s, soccer really was just starting to take hold in the Chicago land area and most people knew nothing about it. And so when you had coaches, they knew just a little bit more about the game than we did. Uh, they knew the rules certainly, but the best ways to play them, they didn't know. Uh, the guys who really wanted to learn played for some of the ethnic clubs like this, the, uh, the Polish clubs or the Italian clubs where these guys had played and understood the game in other places. Well, that was not the teams I played on. Uh, at my high school, the guys who were soccer coaches were not hired to be soccer coaches at that school. They were hired for something different and they said, we need a soccer coach who will do it. I don't know, I guess I could do it. (laughs) And uh, that's the level of soccer coaches we had. Uh, But my football coaches, these were guys who knew the game. And they taught, and they'd been experienced around it. They'd played, and and uh, they taught you the game. And they, they got into your face. And sometimes uh, they got in it pretty aggressively, but they showed us the ways to do, how to block and how to try and tackle. And 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 then there was the playbook. You had a playbook if you were an offensive guy, particularly, this is what you need to do. If you were a defensive guy, you had to know where you were. And, and if you were out of place, they would yell at you to get in place, and you took that because... They were the ones who knew about this. That's what a coach does. He puts you in a position to do well. A legendary coach, Tom Landry, this is what he defined coaching as. He defined it as making men do what they don't want to do so that they can become what they want to be. I'll say that again. A coaching is making men do what they don't want to do so that they can become what they want to be. And I think at some level, uh, this is this is really part of what church direction is, that we try and help people to move along in their Christian life. And sometimes we need coaching. We need those who have gone down the road and can tell us and help us figure out how it's happened. And one of the beautiful things is we have been given all kinds of coaches in the form of the New Testament and the letters We have this teaching that describes this is how we do it because as church leaders go through the beginnings and the development of the church, uh, sometimes confusion happens about what we really believe. Uh, Theological problems develop or sometimes conflicts arise or there's uh, tricky circumstances And, and the leader's heart is to help the community through this situation, to pastor them, to help them get through it and sometimes it's to say there's a problem and you're wrong and this needs to be corrected. Sometimes they say, hey, you're doing great. And when we look at some of the letters, we, uh, we, they start off with this. Oh, I, I, I thank God whenever I think of you because of the, your faith, it's being reported all over the place. And there's that encouraging thing that they do. But then there's the correction that happens. And, and that's, that's what a coach does. To put you in the place so that you can be the best that you can be, and now our coaches—they follow a line. Uh, if you uh, they talk a little bit about in the NFL the the, the coaching lines that uh, Bill Walsh back in the seventies and eighties he uh, he had coached and there was coaches underneath them and they went on to coach in different places and and uh, they were influenced by him or Mike Holmgren or several of the other ones they they studied under one guy and were able to bring that through well. Uh, The the line of our coaches, it starts in Jesus. And uh, Jesus spent time coaching 12 guys, telling them what the kingdom of God was all about and what was important about it. And and then that passed on and got through. And we see some of the prominent ones happen down the line. Peter becomes one of the the, the great leaders in the church. And and as we've just looked through uh, the book of Acts, we've seen how this progress goes. Jesus started out in Acts chapter 1, and he gave he gave his team their marching orders. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the Samaria and the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me. And then we see Peter take a prominent role and tell people about the Lord Jesus, tell Gentiles about this. And he gets messages from the Lord about this. And then Eventually Peter comes off the scene and Paul becomes preeminent and through much of the rest of the book of Acts, he's the guy that is central in terms of teaching others and leading others. Not that the others aren't doing it, but there's this line of progression and then, as we saw last week, Acts ends and it just kind of ends. Paul is in jail, he's in prison, he's, he's house arrest basically. But even in that time, he is continuing to tell people about Jesus. He is standing faithfully and and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus. And the last phrasing is, boldly and without hindrance. And Acts ends, but the church goes on. And others come down the line and continue to tell people about the Lord Jesus and well, the next coach that I want to talk about down the line is not Peter or Paul, but someone named Jude or Judas or Judah. Uh, all of those are possible ways to, to say his name. And, and uh, he is going to write a letter, and it says, it's the end of the New Testament, right before Revelation. And, and he is, well, like a coach, wanting to teach people about what it means to walk faithfully with the Lord. And how does he do that? If you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to Jude, verse one. There's only one chapter here, so it's you don't even say ch- Jude chapter one. But starting in verse one, we we just get a, a, an early sense of what this letter is all about. It starts out, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Well, that kind of gives you a scope of what's it about, doesn't it? We started out there, and, and uh, this letter is what's going to be about Jesus. You, know, you send a letter to a church, and, uh, and they look at it, and, and it could be all kinds of possible ways of writing. It could be, hey, how's the fishing going up there, or, how's the crops doing, or, or uh, what are you doing with your lives these days? Um, but when he starts off this way, a servant or slave, as could be translated as well, of Jesus Christ. Uh, you have an indicator, okay, this is going to be about our faith, and this is going to be about our church and the things that are going on here. He's identifying himself serving Jesus. And also the brother of James, which in that world, the, the, the most prominent person named James in, in the early church was, was the brother of Jesus who at some point comes to faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord and becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And, and we see him prominently in Acts chapter 15 as they're talking about how they reach out to Gentiles and what the Lord and the Spirit was doing through them. And James has this prominent role. Later on, he, he writes the books, we understand, is as, uh, as the, the book of James. And, and, and there he too identifies himself with Jesus. Um, but interestingly, as the the brother or half brother of Jesus he doesn't claim the physical relationship but the spiritual relationship and jude so if you do the math if if jude is james brother and james is jesus brother all right so uh, therefore <laughs> jude is also the half brother of jesus uh, but he doesn't highlight that he doesn't make this physical genetic connection with jesus but does with James, and probably as much as anything because, well, there was a lot of Jude's or Judases or Judas in that region, and, and so I am the one whose brother is James, just so you know who I am as I'm writing this letter to you, uh, but he doesn't say the brother of Jesus, because really, what good does that do, being physically related to him? It has no value at all, does it? I mean, it would be like saying for myself that uh, I have a sister who has a a degree in in law. And it's like, all right, well, I know all about the law because I got my sister's Gretchen. And she knows all about the law. So therefore, I'm related to her. So I must know lots. Well, that's not how it works. Now, if I had been trained in law myself, that might be another thing. And that's the thing that would highlight. But Jude's connection here is he's come to faith in Jesus. And he's a follower of him. He's a servant of him. And now he's got a message that he wants to bring. Well, who is he writing to? Uh, As he says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and are kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And as he begins this letter, he is indicating to them, all right, I'm writing to you, the church. I'm writing because they're... We have this connection through the Lord Jesus. You have been called by him. You are loved by God and you are being kept protected, kept safe by your relationship with God through Jesus. That's who you are. And as he identifies them, he is focusing him and and really as it sets the right tone for the message he's about to give them. This is about spiritual things. This is to my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. And just a reminder of who we are in him. And then mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Uh, May God bless you is what he says there. That's a fairly traditional way of of starting letters within that culture. And and so ends with there. And then begins with what he wants to talk about. Uh, Starts off in verse 3 there. Dear friends. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Jude is writing a letter. But as he begins this letter, there's a different letter he wants to write. He wants to write a letter talking about our life and our salvation and just the connection point they have with Jesus. And then that was the letter he was going to write, but he doesn't write that letter, he writes this letter. Because as he's getting into beginning this, this letter, he has heard something. Something along the way has said, I've got something urgent I need to talk with you about. There's something going on that we need to address right now. And, and as much as I would like to talk about the things that we, we share in common, the, the, the life and the faith and the salvation that we share through Jesus, you need to hear this right now. And I need to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to all the saints. And, and there's this coaching word, contend for the faith. Uh, the word that's, that's translated contention could be fighting for, but it's a word that's often used within athletic kind of contests to stand firmly and to fight through and to, and to, to, to deal with it head on. That as he's talking with them, it's like there's something you need to deal with. You need to, to work through this. This is something that, that you need to take steps and live out in your life. Contend for the faith. Fight for it. Stand for it. This is not a time to be passive because there are important things at stake. You've been entrusted with who Jesus is and you need to hear this. This is not going to be just a letter talking about how great the Lord is, but there's something that needs to be addressed and he wants to get right in in it. Uh, Paul in his letter to the Galatians starts similarly. Without saying lots of things that are going on, he starts right in, I have great concerns for you and your life and faith. And, and again, good coaches change tactics as they need to and if there's something serious that needs to be addressed, they, they begin to call attention to that. If Maybe it's a lackness or, or a laziness or an inattentiveness to what's going on and to bring them back into focus uh, to, 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 to get the plays that they need to, 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 to further on in the contest they're in. But sometimes it's just to rally them to focus again. Jude is writing such a letter to this people because something's going on. And what's going on? Uh, As we mentioned with the the kids, people have slipped in, disguised themselves as being believers and followers of Jesus. And, And while they're there, they are teaching things that are not exactly the gospel of the Lord Jesus they're talking about the grace of god but they're changing it from this amazing gift that god gives us for what we re- deserved because of our sin to well now you've got grace and and using it as a license for immoral lifestyles and actions that they're saying well you know because because of god's grace you we can do whatever we want we're just free from the law uh, Paul talks a lot about that in his letters about about the the things that the law had over us and and the the concern for many was well you know if we talk about being free from the law well it's just going to be chaos people just will do whatever they want and 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 he and he makes this argument there's he writes in his letter to the Romans he he brings this up but arguing with with his opponent as he gives the letter to the Romans you know what shall I say if by if the, if the if by my sin, the grace of God becomes more apparent, then I should sin all the more, right? Because the more I sin, the more grace has to come to cover that. So this is a good thing. My sinning is a good thing because God's grace can be shown in great detail. And Paul says, absolutely not. This is ridiculous ways of thinking because part of our coming to God and knowing who he is and becoming his people is We're becoming more and more like him. That the transformation that's happening in our life through the Holy Spirit is making a difference and it has ethical changes in our life. And there's lifestyle practices that need to be important to us. In, uh, in Acts chapter 15, when we looked at the church there as they were thinking about the Gentiles, uh, James and the others, they have some particular instructions for the Gentiles as they live their faith out. Uh, that they, they didn't need to go through the practices of Judaism, particularly circumcision. But there things that they said, this, these things you still must do. You must abstain from sexual immorality and, and you must not eat food that was strangled or, or uh, with blood in it. Uh, because this is detestable to us, your brothers. But uh, this lifestyle thing of sexual immorality was was a prominent thing, and, and not living that way was important. These are issues in those early days in the Roman Empire, in Greek culture as well, uh, of not living sexually ethical ways, that the, the standards of, of a man and a woman being... Uh, the relationship within which love in, is expressed and, and shown that this must maintain and stay. Uh, the culture in, that they found themselves in, it was whatever goes. And as we think through uh, this first part of their issues, and so the two issues that Jude brings up, one is this idea of, of license, licentiousness or practicing immorality because oh god 's got my grace uh, is t- to live faithfully and and uh, things uh, I mentioned sexual immorality, but it 's other things as well it's it's um, it 's gluttony it is it is uh, drunkenness it is all kinds of things that that put you out of control and um, Displays of anger, several lists within the the New Testament talk about the things that that are examples of those who are not following God. Displays of anger, dissensions, and and those kind of things. And this this kind of lifestyle is not okay. And you need to contend. You need to fight and stand for this. And the second is they deny the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as our only sovereign and Lord. Theological issues, lifestyle and theology. this last week you allowed me and enabled me to go to the, the Free Church theology Conference and I thank you for that. It was a, a just a, a tremendous time of, of listening to some of uh, our speakers within the uh, several different organizations, the Trinity Seminary, but also some other seminaries that they brought in, as well as our our free church presidents and uh, and the guy who is head of the, the theology. Part Of, of the denomination, the, the and uh, just a great opportunity, but one of the, the the things they were trying to do in this particular conference is uh, about a year and a half ago uh, they, they went through a time of, of uh, a survey surveying the pastors within the free church and asking them what their thoughts and beliefs are were on, on particular theological topics and and uh, the results of that, those came out uh, in December of of uh, 2018, and uh, I said, you know what we found here? We got a great response rate and of those coming back with this, but there are some outliers. That was the word they used oftentimes. Outliers, meaning some who are are drifting or straying a little bit in terms of their their theology on particular issues, and and so the the purpose of this conference was to look at some major topics in theology, and so we had the doctrine of God, and we had the doctrine of Scripture, and we had the doctrine of Christ and salvation, and, and the doctrine of hell, and a couple others along the way, to, to refocus and, and orient ourselves to what does the Scripture say for us to do and to live about this? And the theme of the conference was contending for the faith, which is this passage from Jude to stand firmly for it. Because we live in a world where there is contention for different aspects of what we believe about God, about Scripture, and about Jesus, our Sovereign and Lord. And where do we stand on that? Because people philosophically are all over the map. They are living and in, in, in talking about Jesus as... Well, one of many ways. And not sovereign and Lord, but a good teacher or prophet. And if we allow some of those things to creep within us, then, as Jude is addressing, there's concerns. Because it leads people away from fully understanding who God is, what Jesus has done, and what place he has in our life. N.T. Writes, uh, writes about this in, um, in terms of contemporary connection. Uh, find people who today are saying that God loves everyone exactly as they are so everyone must stay exactly as they are doing all the things they want to do because God is so full of generosity that obviously he wants them to do that. Find such people and you found those of whom Jude is writing. Find people who today are saying that Jesus is one religious teacher among others, one way of salvation among others, that there might well be a variety of paths up the mountains of which Jesus' path is only one, that it's important not to make exclusive claims or will become arrogant. Find such people, and you've found those of whom Judah is writing. This is a contemporary issues for us to face within our day, within our lives, with how we live this out and how we stay connected and contend for the faith, well, that's what this Coach Judah wants us to to focus on again, that we might see in our own midst and be able to evaluate what's going on in our own community, our own life, particularly within our faith community. In 1995... I was youth pastor down in Milwaukee, and and I was asked by the district in Wisconsin to lead a group of students to New York City on a summer missions project or summer summer ministry project. Uh, the we had 19 students and five adults. Uh, we we took off in vans from Milwaukee and headed to New York City, and. And uh had a variety of responses. We're staying down in Manhattan working with a, a church called the Lamb Center and, and uh, working with homeless and doing some work projects and some cleanup projects and feeding homeless. And they had a, a podiatrist there and they did some work helping with him because it's one of the big things for, uh, for the homeless is, is their feet. And uh, I had all kinds of different students there. One of them in particular was passionate about the Lord. Uh, he was a senior. He had a full ride scholarship at a prominent uh, Christian school, and and uh, he just was sharp. and And where all most the students, the other students, they wanted to just do the work project. He's like, I want to go on the streets and evangelize. I want to talk with people about Jesus. and uh, And so we find some ways to structure that in for him to do that. He just was so on fire. And we come to the end of the week, and and uh, oftentimes at these at these kind of uh, events we take some time and just talk about what, what did the Lord teach you during this, this week that we've been here and Oftentimes, is some of the most powerful times is as, as students share with one another what God was teaching them or, or, or what just blew them away and, and helped them reveal things about themselves and their faith and, and we're going around and we get to this, this sharp young man and, and he, uh, he uh, is just overcome I, I, I can't even say anything right now I was like, huh, well that's weird because he's so out there on some level but um, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe the Lord just called him in some new direction and, and uh, so we just kind of moved on and, and left that in the air and uh, I'd hoped to get a talk, chance to talk with him a little bit later on. That never happened even on our, our trip back it, um, but I discovered later what had happened. Uh, while we were at the church there, he met this guy, David. And uh, they, they began a conversation, uh, intense. And, and uh, at one point in one of the afternoons, we had off, and he said, hey, can I, can I go to David's house and just kind of talk? He's, uh, you know, just interested in some of his thoughts and um, the, what the Lord's doing there. And I said, sure, go ahead. That's, that's fine. We're not doing anything. Be back by this time. And, and he did. And, and what it turned out was that this David was telling him that, that he, David, was the scapegoat Messiah. That God had chosen him to take the sins of the world on him and for him to be cast out. The, the idea of the scapegoat in the Old Testament is that, that a goat is, is sent out of the community with the sins of the community laid on him and, and he's banished and he's to go away. And uh, he said, that's what I am. When, the spirit, when David Koresh died in Texas, The Spirit of Jesus came upon me. Now, many of us hear that and are like, okay, that's wacky. Why would anyone buy into that? I mean, it's just so clearly weird. And and, and yet the sharpest student we had on this trip believed it. I don't know what kind of spiritual dynamics were going on there, The result of it was that after one semester, he left this prominent Christian college where he had a presidential scholarship, left it behind, and and moved to New York City, and moved in with this guy David, and was following him, the scapegoat Messiah, was eventually by his home church in, in Madison, was told he cannot be part of the church anymore, and they had to do it formally because he had influence on many of the other students because he was the guy. He was the guy who was so passionately filled with with the spirit and, and the love of the Lord Jesus that he was potentially even deceiving some of them. And and so there it was. Um, I, I heard much of this through his former youth pastor, uh, Tom Savage, um, and, and as Tom told me this some years ago, they're driving a the car and, 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 and this fellow is telling him, and, and, and Tom is getting so angry, it's like bending the, the steering wheel. He's just gripping it so hard. He's just filled with anger and rage. And the more they talk, the angrier you got. And, and at some point in their, in their interactions with one another, he was filled with rage. And uh, he he was working in a church and and he wanted to go up to New York City and and, uh, address this David guy. And there was a police officer in his congregation. He said, okay, you can't go there. (laughs) If you do go there, you must take me with you because your level of rage here is is beyond control. Um, And so Tom didn't really have an impact. But his wife, Barb, who also knew this student quite well, began talking with him and interacting with him on email and, and other letters and phone calls occasionally and praying for him intentionally. And, and, and over time, it wasn't a day, it wasn't a week or a month, it was years of continuing to interact, was finally able to break through and, and he returned to faith. And he returned to uh, the church and was restored and reconciled with them. I saw Tom when I was at the conference and and uh, I said hey I want you to I want you to know what's going on with this guy he is uh, he's, he's fully restored he's married has three kids loves the Lord is is uh, working out in Colorado and uh, uh, Tom is now working at a church plant in Florida and he just you know he's doing well financially he gave me this huge check to help us out and 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 he's he's come back which is delightful which is awesome, and so there's two sides of that story. One, the Lord can keep us, but it doesn't mean that there's not jeopardy, that we must contend for the faith, that we must be vigilant about listening and looking and and staying connected into the word, knowing what it says, knowing who God is and, and what it is to be a follower of Jesus. When Matthew ends his gospel, the last words he puts in in Jesus and the last verses in that book, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, most of you are familiar with it, it's called the Great Commission. Uh, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you, and lo, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. And... uh, Obviously, something that's very important to us. We know this. This is what we do. It's part of our vision statement for who we are, to make disciples who love God and love others. And, and yet, that's not all there is to it. The baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we get that. We've done that with people, and that's been a beautiful thing. But, but there's a third component of that, uh, teaching them. And it doesn't say teaching them what Jesus said, it's not just about transformation or transferring knowledge, but teaching them to obey the things I've commanded you. Well, what is that? What has Jesus commanded and taught us to do? And what does it mean to obey and to live in accordance with that? Because that is the essence of what this ongoing process of maturing in God is all about. Well, how would you answer that? What has Jesus taught you to obey and how are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? I want to give you an assignment this week. I want you to, to look through the Gospels and find five, just five, five things that Jesus teaches about living this life. You can call them commands or rules But what are five things you can do, one a day, Monday to Friday, and write them down? And as you write them down, how are you living in accordance with it is is something I want you to ask yourself. But as you write them down, here's what else you'd like to do. I'd like you to give me your list. Uh, Between Saturday night and Sunday, I think we'll, we'll find a whole variety of things because Jesus says a lot of things. Uh, said more than even the Gospels contain, John says, but nevertheless, there's lots in there. So what does it mean to live and obey the commands of Christ? Would you do that? And then give them to me next Saturday or Sunday, and, and then let's think about how do we do this? How do we live this out? Because it's not just about knowing, is it? but it's doing and living the life that God has called us to through Jesus that's why we have all these coaches isn't it all these coaches are taking who Jesus was his discussion of the kingdom of God and bringing into light so that we can figure this out but you have a part in this in your life and you have a part of this within this community of faith as I mentioned to the kids I hope you're watching me I hope that you take the things that I say and say, is that really what it says? If not, then we can have a discussion about it. And if that doesn't go well and you still perform about it, then we need to have maybe a larger discussion about it because it's essential for each of us to contend for the faith, to listen to our coaches and to live this out in practice. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this day we we come before you and are asking that you will continue to reveal yourself to us. You love us. You've entrusted us with this gospel. Jesus is keeping us, as the word says. But it doesn't mean that we're just coasting through this life. we need to contend. We need to fight for this faith. Because there are those who would li- lead us and guide us in, in other ways and other paths, denying our Lord and Sovereign Jesus, encouraging us to live for ourselves instead of for you. Uh, Lord, help us to see you and to be faithful to walk with you and to live out what's on your heart as we no longer conform ourselves to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, of our mind, and then know and be able to test and approve your will. We need your help for this. Spirit, move us, guide us, direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.